Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, folks, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and today I'm once again joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing? Well, hi, Grant. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It's getting pretty crowded in the studio today, even an online studio, isn't it? I know. It's very exciting that this is our this is our first record with three guests. Woohoo. It's a, yes. it's going to be it's, the physical challenge of trying to keep it keep it down to half an hour, isn't it? <laughs> oh, we've given up already, I know. <laughs> well, particularly because there's a few layers to what we're going to talk about today. And all of them are integral if we want to see Australia's GDP increase by $25 billion. Do you want to know what would achieve that, Grant? Oh, I'm always up for hearing what would give us $25 billion. <laughs> <laughs> An increase of just 6% of the number of women in our workforce. And do you know where these jobs could be? I'm sure you're going to tell me. I am. <laughs> in the fastest growing sector of all, STEM. Careers in science, technology, engineering and mathematics fields are set to grow by around 11.6% compared to all other fields, which are averaging around 7 The Federal Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources predicts that by 2030, so in just over eight years, all of us will be spending 77% more time using science and maths. I'll be cowering in the corner at that point, Grant, (laughs) just so you know. (laughs) Uh, But let's think about those figures and turn that to the food and beverage sector. The Australian Food and Grocery Council says that with the right policies and incentives, Australia's food and grocery sector could double in size to being worth about $250 billion by 2030. Now, that translates in terms of employment in the sector to a 54% increase or 427,000 people. So, imagine the potential for our food and beverage sector to absorb that STEM growth and knock down the barriers blocking women from STEM careers. Well, today we're going to talk about what is being done to encourage more women into STEM roles, but also to stay in those roles for rich and fulfilling careers uh, where, you know, at the moment they can still be paid between $8,000 to $20,000 less than their male counterparts. We're going to be joined by Professor Lisa Harvey-Smith. She's Australia's Women in STEM ambassador, and she's heading the initiative to address gender equity in STEM. She's working with stakeholders from schools to academia to industry, working to drive cultural and systemic change to institutions and workplaces. We're also going to be joined by Sky Raywood, who's the co-founder and executive director of Food Futures Company a business which is committed to transforming the global food system. Food Futures was recently awarded one of eight grants as part of the Women in STEM and Entrepreneurship Program called WISE. Sky and the team are using the the grant to get more Indigenous women into the native food and agricultural sector, integrating ancient knowledge and culture with the latest science and technology. And finally, but certainly not least, uh, Dr Kirsten Wilkie is with us. 
Kirsten is a senior beverage technologist at Javordan Australia. She's going to have to correct me on that. Uh, as someone at the coalface of what we're talking about, Kirsten's insights and experience are invaluable when it comes to what is practical, realistic and achievable when it comes to women making some noise in STEM. Well, welcome to you all. <laughs> Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. So, I think shall we start? Um, shall we start with um, start with you, Lisa? You're, you've been handed quite the task. I know. You know, uh, changing the world, uh, gender yeah. equity, adding billions to the economy. It's not bad, <laughs> is it? Not bad for a gig. Not bad for an astrophysicist. Uh, come good, but it's it's quite a task because we look at the stats. You you, you said some of the stats there. Um, the the economic impact of women's underrepresentation uh, in the workforce and certainly in in the growing industries of STEM are, are just devastating, really. And you know we've seen from recent stats as seventeen percent of the STEM qualified workforce um, are women. And, you know, even when women are going into science, technology, engineering and maths degrees or vocational training, they're often not um, getting through the pipeline into the workforce. So um, they did a longitudinal study recently, the government, about um, where STEM graduates actually end up. And they followed STEM graduates over a five-year period. Now, they followed the men um, across that five-year period. One in five were working in STEM after graduating with a STEM degree, and only one in 10 women were actually working in STEM. So, there's a, a huge sort of disparity there and a lot of complex reasons why. Um, yeah, why? Are, What's well, happening to them? There's a lot of reasons. And this is complex. There's no silver bullet, mm. but... Um, a lot of factors, like you say, the pay gap, um, women with identical qualifications and skills, um, same age, same career step, are paid significantly less um, than their male counterparts. So what we're seeing is even as women get into the workforce, they're often paid less, they're stereotyped into different roles, um, less technical roles. And and many times that really is a very dispiriting um situation for women to be in professionally. There's also the effects of um, unequal caring responsibilities, um, and that's one element, but certainly not the only element. Uh, and then there's things like sexual harassment in the workplace, which still is uh, disproportionately affecting women. So a real smorgasbord of things to tackle and, and some positive steps we can take in workplaces to actually make it better. Yeah. So when you go into a workplace which is successfully um, finding maybe not gender equity, but at least sort of getting some better levels of representation. What are some of the characteristics of those workplaces? Well, we know from research, again, that um, women in the workplace, so in other words, having a, a less unbalanced workplace um, leads to more innovation, uh, better ideas, a broader suite um, of, you know, innovations, I suppose, in, in that workforce. Um, it leads to uh, more professionalism uh, amongst all the staff and um, certainly a more family-friendly workplace as well because women are disproportionately um, in caring responsibilities uh, and roles in the society. So it brings better outcomes um, when you see women in senior management roles um, financially in boardrooms that affects the the governance, better governance of um, organisations, lower areas, um, lower amounts of fraud in organisations. It's actually really multifaceted uh, when you get more women into workplaces. So it's a, a kind of a win-win for everyone. What sort of time frame does this sort of change 
take? Is it really, can it be quick with the change of management or does it, are you looking at something like that takes years to really move? Yeah, well, you, when you're looking at the the numbers uh, in society, they're, they're taking the numbers of women in STEM um, have only increased two percent over the last decade. So nationally, the change is slow oh. and creaking. <laughs> However, the positive thing is what we can do in individual workplaces. You can cause a transformation in your culture and real positivity by a commitment or a change of leadership um, at the top. That is, um, you know, committing to pay audits and to improving training for staff so that they are supported in creating professional working environments. Um, if you change the policy for uh, parental leave or, you know, other other facets uh, of creating a better culture in your, your workplace, there's so many ways that we can create fast changes and real changes that make everyone's um, work better, uh, everyone's mental health better, everyone's work life better and their home life too um, because you take your work frustrations home as we all know. So um, you can really transform society as an industry leader and that's, uh, that's the positive message that I really wanted to bring. I think uh, this is something that we we touch on in this podcast quite often, that there's such scope, particularly because of the size and scale of food and beverage within Australia, that, that you actually really can be quite an agent of change and, um, and really sort of set a standard for other industries as well. Uh, it would be great to sort of see that start to, to really um, manifest. Sky, talk to us about food futures. What does it do? Thanks, Kim. Um, if you don't mind, I'd just like to um, acknowledge the traditional owners of the land and sea in which I'm on uh, today, which is you and country. And I'd like to pay my respect uh, to their elders, past, present and emerging. So thank you for that. Um, so Food Futures Company, um, we were born um, a couple of years ago. So we're a, a startup ourselves. Um, and what we do is we um, support entrepreneurs um, and founders working across the agri-food system, um, but we're, we're an impact business. So we only work with those businesses and those founders that are going to have a positive impact um, on the food, the food system of the future. So that could be around, you know, human health and well-being, um, creating production systems that are more transparent and ethical, um, food waste and food security. And so how we do it is that we support them through a range of different um, entrepreneurship programs, so different accelerators, um, and we also follow their journey. So um, from, from a very early stage in terms of ideas right through to internationalisation programs when they're ready to export into other markets. Mm, okay. And so talk to us about getting this WISE grant and what that, um, what that means for food futures and how... Um, how you're going to to utilise that grant money. Yeah, um, so that grant um, we were very excited to receive and, and it's it's funding for our first pilot year. Um, and this this project um, is is all about and, and our main goal is to increase the participation of Indigenous women in the native ag and food sector. And so I'm sure many of you are aware um, Indigenous participation is at a very low rate, less than 2%, and then Indigenous participation itself is they're even more underrepresented. 
And so I guess um, the opportunity came up because when we're when we're doing our work in the agri-food system, the native food sector itself actually ticks a lot of those boxes in terms of the kinds of opportunity areas. You know, it's the the native plants and botanicals can be used in a whole range of different value-added food products that are very healthy for people. Um, there's biodiversity that can be created. And so there's a whole range of different um, things here. Yeah, so I guess I wanted to give context around why we um, work in the native food sector. And um, in 2020, we actually ran um, the very first um, accelerator for the native foods um, sector. And we had a target of of having over 50% um, Indigenous-led businesses in that program. And um, we achieved that, but unfortunately, we um, there was only one female founder who was Indigenous. Um, so, so that kind of started to get us thinking. You know, we need to kind of, you know, could we help to have an impact on this? On this, um, and so the Women in STEM and Entrepreneurship grant that we um, put forward is about. Um, creating an entrepreneurship and a career pathway. So it's a framework where we are working at different stages of um, career development. So at a sort of schools-based level, years nine and above, um, young Indigenous women at TAFE and University, and then Indigenous women who are either wanting to start a native ag and food business themselves or are already working in the space but need some support to kind of scale that that business. It's quite an undertaking as well, isn't it? To because uh, it's n- not only even just addressing gender issues. You, there's that you're, is, there's other issues of disadvantage that you're that you're going to have to um, address and work with, which is in and of itself challenging. Yes, yeah, it is. It it is challenging, and I guess um, so. The way that we've actually designed this project is that it's delivered via sort of regional hubs, um, and so in each region, um, Central Coast, New South Wales, um, Central New South Wales, with Dubbo being the main the main hub there, um, far north Queensland, Northern Territory, South Australia, and we're also scoping um, other regional hubs. And within those hubs, we have a whole range of different stakeholders. So um, engagement with the traditional owner groups, we have Indigenous elders um, advising us, we have university partners. So each kind of part of the the project can come together at a regional level and so we feel we're able to kind of deliver um, the project's objectives and have a big impact through that, through that sort of model. Um, and as I said, it's a pilot, so we are going through a lot of sort of experimentation and testing as well. Uh, and Kirsten. Yes. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, tell us, t- tell us about your, you know, your personal journey with STEM. Um, what attracted you into the into the field? So, um, sure. Very interestingly, my family very big um, science background. So, hearing Sky talk all about agronomy, there, my dad was an agronomist specialising up in the north coast where I come from on macadamia, so quite related to the natives there. Um, and my mum was a medical scientist, like working in pathology. So, I had from the beginning a big curiosity and interest in science in general. I suppose one point though in the 
in my road was in my senior years at high school, food technology became a subject and it was, was first introduced. I was like, oh, this sounds a lot more interesting than the old, you know, food economics or yeah. cooking because yes. it was the science of foods. So I thought, oh, yeah. wow, this sounds great. And, yeah, I loved it. So that was sort of the first that began my passion. Then I think I went on to study food technology and, and my dad had said, well, everyone's going to need food, so it's probably a good opportunity. And I said, yep, well, I agree with that. And um, so I studied food science at the University of New South Wales there. I went on to do my postgrad there. So I was actually, again, in flavours and I was actually looking at analysing rice, fragrant rice, so comparing our, yeah, our varieties that were bred in Australia through our breeding program. How did they um, compete with the the traditional overseas like Thai and Indian varieties to see how if they were good enough. So that was all through flavour, sort of flavour chemistry. So then um, Lisa sort of spoke about, you know, then there was that fork in the road. Is it academia or is it going into the commercial side of food? So I thought, oh, I really like to use these skills I've gained and a job came up at Givadan. So they're a leading flavour and fragrance company. And I was like, oh, wow, that seems like quite a perfect fit. I've been studying, you know, flavours in my postgrad. I'd love to see it come to life. How, what does that mean in the, in the commercial world? So, yeah, that's where I ended up and I'm still here 15 years later at Givadan. Yeah, designing, developing beverages with our customers, providing that signature, I think, in products. You know, with that bit that silent partner when we develop products, we give, you know, the signature the prop to the product. But, you know, people don't usually know who we are. But, yeah, when we see our products that we develop with our customers on the shelves, that's one of the, yeah, great, a great thing to see. Yeah. And see that achievement. Yeah. I always am fascinated by people in roles like like yours because they really are that invisible role. We just think that our drinks taste like what they taste like, you know. We don't we don't actually fully grasp. It's it's like people, you know, when we say, you know, kids have got to know that milk comes from a cow. It's the same thing with flavor and, and ingredient specialists since it's like we need to understand that some of these things come from a really complex and fascinating space. Um, so, did you face any sort of challenges along your way, or did you find that you sort of just hit the ground running? Uh, yes and no. I think I mean Lisa's already touched on this to do with parenting. So I think I suppose the biggest one was in in the over my fifteen years was juggling the family and work. So in that time. Uh, two young kids, but I've been very fortunate through Jivadan that they have supported me through that. I think, though, I think it's taken me a lot longer than I first had thought. So, yes, there, there are always challenges. That was probably the biggest one, juggling that, but I was still able to, yeah, to, to progress and continue my career through, mm. through that, yeah. Lisa, this is something we hear a lot of, isn't it, in that this isn't just about getting more women into STEM or into the workforce. This is actually about a whole uh, evaluation of how we work and how business is structured and um, and set up. Is that something that you think, you know, really rings true in this sector as much as everywhere else? It's got to. I, you know, why are we still, why are we not questioning this more? It's like the emperor's new clothes. Um, 
why are we still working on the model of the uh, 19th century, like industrial revolution in Manchester, um, you know, working nine to five in a factory? Um, it, it's just it's just ludicrous. Um, you know, why are we not looking to what we're trying to achieve and then design the best system to create that? Um, you know, through COVID, we've seen obviously the the move to work from where you are um, in a lot of industries, not in, you know, notably things like the service industry. It's very difficult to to change um, the, the way you structure that. But many of us who work in offices we can innovate. We can change the way we work. Um, and, you know, the, 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 there is such an imperative now to get the very best skilled people in this country because we don't have skilled migration or very little of it um, to fill the roles that we need for the very changing jobs of the future. Um, we, we see that, as you said at the beginning in the intro, um, 77% more maths and science skills in the workforce uh, in the next few years. We're going to have to use technologies, whether we work in a shop, whether we work in the service industry, in farming, in agriculture, in mining, um, or in the food business. All of us in logistics are going to be using satellite technologies. We're going to be, you know, using computers for absolutely everything. So we've got to change the way we do things. We've got to question everything. And people in business and um, trying to make businesses more efficient, more profitable, are really going to have to also consider the human capital and the impact of the decisions that we're making oper operationally on the the people who are the very good skilled people we need to to run our businesses. So, you know, the upshot of all of that is treat your people well, um, allow them to work in a way that makes the best use of their skills, but also, you know, recognise that they're human beings with other facets to their lives and make work the workforce more flexible. And when we do that, then dads can take more responsibility of areas of their lives um, that that women have, you know, in the, in the past taken more responsibility for. Um, it leads to a a better situation for everyone and more freedom for everyone to to use their skills in the workforce but also to to be present in their in their family lives and you know i think everyone would agree that's a it's a good outcome it's a win isn't it sky i i imagine that with this pilot program that you're seeing you're seeing that firsthand that that how this is structured is really going to be driven by the communities that you're working with. Is that the case? Yeah, we didn't um, want to go in and sort of dictate how this project was going to be delivered. And so we wanted to have, we'll ensure firstly that we have the right people at the table um, and have a very diverse group of voices um, to kind of weigh in on, on the decisions of the project. Um, we also want this not to be just a 12-month pilot and so we want this actually to be a long-term five-year-plus um, project so we can have a big impact and the way to do that is to mobilise on the ground and mobilise communities and, and different stakeholders to take ownership of, of the, their part of the project to actually deliver that. So, yeah. So, Kirsten, as you've done, you've been there for 15 years. Uh, what's changed over that time? Have you seen some big changes in terms of the number of women in the workplace or um, some of the structures that you're sort of working within? Yeah, definitely. I think there's. I've seen um, more women being appointed to more lead, 
leadership and managerial roles. So a few examples, our operational director is now a woman and she studied food. She's a fellow food tech as well. So um, our, also our APAC commercial head that um, obviously encompasses all of APAC for us is also now a, a woman in obviously a leadership role. So that's probably two major positions I've seen in my time that have, yeah, are now women in leadership there. Um, yeah. Uh, do you see many uh, sort of grads coming through these these days? Yes, we do. We actually see a, quite a balance at the moment, um, probably a, little, a few more few more women, but food tech's always been one I think you've had quite a good balance of male-female that have come through. So, yeah, we've got um, a few new grads at the moment uh, sort of doing work experience and probably more of a balance to female to male at the moment, but, yeah, it's quite balanced there mm. what we see coming through. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it, Lisa? I imagine that, I mean, while the, uh, there's the overarching figures within STEM, that there will be these pockets like food tech where there may be more equal sort of representation between sort of men and women. But um, what's sort of your your experience there? Are you seeing some where they're just, tr- just trying to get more women into that, that space is really difficult? Yeah, I mean, there's two parts to that. It's it's interesting. A lot of sectors now, like my, you know, research sector in, in ast- astronomy and astrophysics, um, huge number of uh, young women coming through, certainly through the ranks as students and um, postdocs, which is like the first job you have in research. Um, but then um, as we go up into more senior levels and women in their 30s in particular start dropping out um, for various region- reasons, um, through cultural reasons or um, that is, you know, sexual harassment and things like that, um, organisational toxicity, but also through um, maybe having a family and deciding to work part-time or having a break and finding hard to get back in. So it's it's kind of that that which is play, played out really in the the gender pay gap statistics as well. You'll see even in female-dominated industries like um, nursing or health, um, you will see often the senior managers and leaders are men and they are paid the most. So, you know, we've still got to be careful when we talk about, you know, numbers. It's not just counting numbers. It's counting salaries. It's counting positions of responsibility and the ability to set direction and um, change culture and um, all of those things. So it's really, really cool um, that that changes are happening. Um, they're happening slowly. They're happening in pockets. And, um, you know, it's great to see that uh, we're having this conversation to to try and you know, look at the subtle elements of it and not just the, the macro elements too. Kirsten, did you have any role models or mentors sort of in your, you know, in your career so far? Yes, definitely. Um, I suppose looking back, the first one would probably be through uni. I had a really um, great female professor who obviously taught food science but then in my postgrad sort of helped me inspire but also challenged for the good I think you get challenged probably a bit more with female mentors which sort of pushes you as well um, my first boss at Jivadan was a female very nurturing and encouraging so that was a great I think start to the new job and really helped helped there in that support I've had several female colleagues not, maybe not so much mentors but I've definitely looked up to so you see you know I'm inspired by how the you know, how confident they are with their technical capability or how they just, you know, go about their their job that's sort of been um, really good 
for me. Um, also, in most recent years, um, other women in leadership roles, so like in different areas, like say if it's marketing or commercial, constantly, you know, try to work with, I work with them constantly and sort of bounce ideas and, you know, it's not just about work but, you know, how do you develop, you know, how, how to do things better, how to work better, things like that. So, and they're obviously very supportive and sort of advocates, I suppose, as well. Um, and I suppose a big one outside, I'd like to feel it's not just all in work, would be my sister, has quite a high-level managerial leadership role and that's, you know, constantly uh, help to talk to her, you know, if it's a different sector but it's similar things, that you, um, adversities that you might face and how to navigate those kind of things. So, yeah, definitely over my career yeah, a lot of great mentors. I think that really resonates with something um, from a – a podcast episode I did earlier with Louise Wien from the National Association of Women in Operations and Maggie Play, who's the, the manufacturing director at Kellogg. And Louise was saying, you can't be what you can't see. And so having women around you, even if they're not in the same sector, um, who are in those leadership roles is, is um, I mean, not I mean, maybe it is just as important as having people within your own organisation who who you can look to, and and um, you know take. Yeah, it can give a different perspective on it as well, I suppose, because they might know your industry, but it's still good to have that you know a perspective in a, yeah. a different leadership. Yeah. yeah. So, Lisa, what could someone do? Let's say in a in a food manufacturing role like what what could they be doing within their workplace that could um be a change agent well there's so much we can do actually it's it's the first step to organizational change is to try and identify what's wrong and that would be different in every industry and every workplace if you're a small business um things like how do we conduct meetings um do we invite everyone to take part in decision-making processes and planning and strategic planning? Um, are we mentoring women in, let's say, earlier career um, positions and making sure that we're creating a pipeline in our organisation for the more senior roles? Um, are we uh, mentoring women equally in uh, technical roles and things like finance um, which are traditionally underrepresented and, um, you know, just making sure that we're doing th simple things like auditing. Are we paying men the same as women for the equivalent jobs? You know, really, really basic stuff. You know, bigger industries, of course, you can have, you know, networks and, um, you know, more complex sort of looks at your policies and procedures. But, you know, looking at questions, when do we – you know, when do we have um, our meetings? Um, are part-time workers disadvantaged? Um, where and how do we hold our social engagements and our, our sort of networking events? Yeah. Um, not many industries are doing those at the moment with the lockdowns, <laughs> but, um, you know, in, in, in better times, mm. um, just how do we do business and is this equitable for everyone? So lots and lots of things a business can do um, as well as pay audits and the, the very serious stuff um, to actually make sure that we're creating a workplace that is um, really nurturing for everyone and uh, offers opportunities for parents of any gender to take time off and look after children, for example. Yeah. Uh, Sky, what advice would you give young women who were considering STEM as a career? 
Um, well, I can. I guess I can talk. So I started my career out as a chef, um, so in a very male-dominated industry, and I was probably part of the kind of old way in many ways where um, I would be the only woman in the kitchen. Um, and so that was a very, I mean, it's not the master chef world that you see today. Um, it was a very different world. So just having, I guess, that experience. But, um, you know, I think to start off with, and particularly what we're looking at in our um, STEM project is is about inspiring and making aware of the different opportunities and, and, and ensuring that, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So someone's career path or journey is not the same as another person. So creating opportunities to fit within to fit with that individual. Um, and so then I, th- I think, and it sort of touches on what Kirsten said, is that you, we really need to prop up those really inspiring role models um, and really kind of showcase them and make people aware and make communities aware of, you know, women that are leaders so that you do have that um, process of people becoming inspired by that. And I think that's a really good way. Yeah. No, it's it's great. I love, and that's right. Like it's not one size fits all. It's it's the same with any career, isn't it? I mean, we we put this banner over it in terms of STEM, thinking it's some sort of homogenous homogenous group, but it's sort of not, is it, Lisa? Well, that's right. I mean, Sky just you know hit the nail on the head there. You you need to be actively as an industry trying to recruit and engage young people and create a pipeline of young people interested in the industry. Um, you know, Kirsten said, you know, it was sort of something as a young person inspires you to to want to go into a particular industry and 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 how great that you can you can create wonderful things like that. Uh, you know, the the flavors and the the foods that that we all enjoy every day. So it's 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 incredible and it, it it's a story we need to tell and that's why my office is running the Future You cam- campaign for young people. So Future You is um, a bunch of role models. Um, they're animated cartoon characters. Um, we've got songs and games and all sorts of things to teach young people that STEM is really fun and interesting and engaging and STEM is for everyone. So that's the main message. Um, so whether it's um, a food technologist character or um, someone who creates um, games for people with disability um, or whether it's an ecologist trying to save the planet and the species on on it. Um, We're showing young people that STEM leads to really, you know, real practical, real world um, kind of outcomes for everyone. And yes, um, it's not, it's not a dry, it's not a dry, uh, you know, a dry sort of space at all, really at all. Is it? it? It's yeah. not dry. It's not people in lab coats, you know, pouring yeah. coloured liquids into test tubes. <laughs> I think we've got to make science more relevant and more engaging for everyone. So, you know, Future Year is all about that kind of thing. And, um, you know, we're really excited to have engaged more than two and a half million young Australians in the last year. Uh, and, you know, programs like Skies of Food Futures is so exciting and um, funded through the WISE grant program because um, it's trying to create uh, industry from skills and knowledge that are already there. And we just need to be recognised those skills which already exist uh, and the knowledge that already exists and just harnessing in a way that that can be sustaining um, and can help others to learn from it so that's that's really cool stuff it really is well that just seems like a great place to put a line under it today but I think uh, Kirsten let's just shoot to you for a minute for one last comment just 
when you guys were both Sky and Lisa talking about role models, that's what I felt like, you know, 15 years the, the tables have flipped and I'm in now the position where I'm starting to recruit young people into into the jobs, yeah, as food technologists. So I see it now that I'm, I need to become that kind of role model for them, really, you know, and I want to see people, you know, if you've got a passion for it and your purpose and a career that you, you really want to go and get, just be really proactive about it. You know, find those people who can advocate for you and share that passion and yeah, help you drive drive your career there and, and then inspire you. I think those were all those sort of the words that Sky and Lisa had used to, you know, to pursue your career and let the young people, yeah, help them along. Absolutely. I think that's something also that we, I don't want to make a generalisation about women, but I think sometimes we we don't realise that we can do that, like that we can be these role models and that we can really step, step into that space. I might be making a gross generalisation right at the end of this conversation that's going to leave lots of people really angry. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> sometimes I feel like women are just too busy getting on with the job that we don't. <laughs> oh, dear, we might need to cut that one out. Anyway, um, <laughs> I would like to just thank Sky, Lisa and Kirsten for joining us today. I feel like we have barely scratched the surface, but this is a conversation that needs to keep going and be held in workplaces across the country and, um, and with pace and urgency. So uh, thank you one and all. It, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Great talking to you, Kim. Cheers. Thanks, Kim. Thank you, ladies, and thanks, folks, for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode, but until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.